Well, we've been in a little series. Some of you have been with us for that. Some of you are joining us for the the finale, I suppose. Um, We've been in a series looking at all the Old Testament birth stories. And we've been looking at those stories and seeing how they point us forward to the bigger story of the Lord Jesus. This week, we get to the summit. Mary, Jesus, and the arrival of the long-promised Christ, the the serpent crusher. Last week, you might remember, we had... uh, We had the last birth story of the Old Testament era. We had uh, the birth of John the Baptist. And we saw how that that kind of repeated and rehearsed and summed up all that had gone before. The old era passing away and something new uh, beginning. All the while people had asked, is this the one? Is the saviour here? This morning we see he is here. Now, Uh, One of the objectives of this uh, little series, one of our aims, really, has been to thrill us, uh, to to get us to wonder at the Lord Jesus' arrival afresh. Uh, We've wanted to recapture a sense of wonder at what God promised to do and and what he has done. So this morning is our last chance to do that. It's our last chance, and in some ways, it may be the biggest challenge. I mean, after all, we're all so familiar, aren't we, with these familiar uh, uh, words. Um, Were they familiar to you as Graham read? Some of us in the room, I think, probably could almost recite every word (laughs) of that Bible reading. We know it so well, don't we? So this morning, we're going to consider these early chapters, Luke chapter 1 and 2. And we're going to consider not just the words, but we're going to consider uh, the imagery, the themes, the backdrop, so that we might be thrilled with the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ again. So we're going to slow down. I want us to notice three things, okay? I want us to notice a place. I want us to notice some characters. And I want us to notice an item, Okay, those are the three things. Okay, first one, I'd like us to see a place. Uh, Notice a place. And uh, so I've got a question for you. Here's my question. What is the most important place for Luke in his gospel, in his account of the Christmas narrative? So look at Luke chapters one to two. What is the most important place for Luke in his opening chapters? This is not a rhetorical question. You can call out. And this morning, everyone was quite shy, but you can call out. What's the most important place? Nothing's too obvious to shout out. First one, chapters one and two. Most important place, places. Bethlehem, thank you. Yeah, anyone else want to just shout out any places they notice in these early chapters? Syria, okay. Yeah, Quirinius, king of Syria, wasn't he? Governor of Syria. Any other places appear? Nazareth, thank you. Yes, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Yeah, those, those, are, those are some of the places, aren't they? Significant with Christmas. I wonder whether you notice the one that Luke seems to be most interested in. Uh, the one Luke seems to be most interested in is the temple. I want us to notice this morning, firstly, a place. I want us to notice the temple uh, revisited. I don't know whether you know this, but Luke's gospel is encompassed, uh, is bracketed by the temple. So here we have um, in chapter one, you remember we looked at it last week, uh, John the Baptist's arrival is announced in the temple. Story begins at the temple. If you flick to the very end of Luke's gospel, the last line of Luke's gospel is that the disciples went to the temple and praised God for the ascended and risen Lord Jesus. 
Luke cares about the temple. In fact, even these birth stories are bracketed by the temple, aren't they? So we've got the temple at the beginning, but look at the end of chapter 2. What have we got? You can see it in the headings there, can't you? Jesus presented at the temple. And in fact, that little, little uh, anecdote, that little account stapled to the end, the boy Jesus in the temple later on, of course. Luke is interested in the temple. Jesus is presented in the temple to Simeon. Now, you could say, well, those are nice details, Ollie, but it's just in- incidental. And, and you, can, you can say that, of course. You could say, this is just where these things happened. This is just their historical placing. And I'd want to say, fair enough. But if you follow what Luke is doing as he writes his account of the Lord Jesus under God, you see, in chapter 3, Luke starts starts uh, um, um, moving towards a genealogy and describing Jesus as the son of Adam. You see, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus fighting temptation, like Adam and Eve fought temptation in the Garden of Eden. At the beginning of the story, Jesus is Adam in Eden, Mark 2. You see that Jesus is born, and it's all wrapped up in the temple. It's highly significant. You see, the temple was like the Garden of Eden. It was where the Old Testament people of God said that God was specially present with his people, uh, like he'd been in the Garden of Eden. If Eden had been the meeting place of heaven and earth, well, so, so was the, the temple thought, thought to be in, in the same way. In fact, they even decorated the temple to look like the Garden of Eden. <laughs> As God had instructed them, decorated with trees and fruit and gold and jewels, the temple looked like Eden on earth. And so the point here is Jesus arrives and he comes to where the temple, which is a picture of Eden. The rescuer comes, as it were, to Eden again. Think with me for a moment of the last time we heard about the Garden of Eden in the Bible. The last time we heard of the Garden of Eden, God was making some promises, wasn't he? Uh, to, to Eve. One of your offspring will defeat the offspring of Satan. That was the last time we heard about the Garden of Eden. It would be hard at that. It would, it, it would be easy, I guess, in some ways at that point in the story to, to allow, allow those words to seem as if they just kind of echoed away in the garden. Fading away, forgotten. Nice promise, long forgotten. Did God ever reply? Did he ever follow up his word to Eve? It's almost like Luke here is subtly jabbing away and saying, yes, he did. (laughs) Yes, God did reply. Because here in the temple, in the earthly representation uh, of a return to Eden comes the saviour. Arrives the Lord Jesus. And look what Simeon says. Chapter 2, verse 28. Notice this. Look what Simeon Simeon says when he's presented with the baby. Chapter 2, verse 28. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The Savior is here in the garden temple. The salvation prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory and for glory to your people, Israel. You see, the saviour of Eve 
the saviour of Adam, the saviour of Eden, is back in the very image of Eden itself. Is it me or is that quite wonderful? The child spoken of in that garden, oh so very, very, very long ago, Luke shows him arriving in that very place, in the imagery of that very place. You can think back, there must have been so much disappointment for Eve. If she has Cain, I suppose she might have thought, oh, maybe this will be the offspring to sort out the, pro- sort out the problem. Didn't seem so very good, did it? Must have been pretty disappointing. So many people down through the generations might have thought the same and felt that disappointment. Oh, oh, a son of David to rule with justice forever. Where is he? Would blessing ever flow to the world from the temple? All there ever seemed to be was disappointment and and, and nothing much going on. But do you see here? Here is Jesus arriving in the temple, back as it were in Eden. And by the end of the story, the disciples will arrive in the garden temple, proclaiming he has risen, he has ascended. He is the saviour. You can be forgiven of your sin. Well, what does this mean for us? How might we reflect on this ourselves? Well, that the Bible links Jesus' arrival so tightly to the Garden of Eden. I think it reminds us that God has done exactly what he said he would do. God has done exactly what he said he would do. So disappointment now dies. Waiting is over. God's promise in the garden wasn't empty words that simply echoed away and waved goodbye to those. No, the saviour came. The Lord Jesus arrives at the temple all according to God's good plans and purposes. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think, aren't we, that the things said long ago are best forgotten. Sometimes we're tempted to think that the oldest things are the most dated things. Sometimes we're tempted to think that if something's gathered dust, well, now it's irrelevant. We're past all that. Sometimes we're tempted to think that God's word is old and therefore it has passed itself by day. Well, we need to tell ourselves again this morning, that is not so. Oh, those words were uttered long ago in a long forgotten place, in a garden paradise that everyone thought was a dream it was so long ago. And yet those words came true as the baby is presented in the temple. Here is a true son of God in the garden. God had done exactly what he said he would do. Every word of what God promised came true. Um, Some of you will remember um, a few weeks ago now the dreadful flooding that occurred in the Simeon Street uh, area of Ride. Some of you know that all too well. Sorry to remind you of that. Um, Now, if you'd lived there, you would have got hold of your insurance contract and you would have checked it very carefully. No matter how old the document was, or whether it was in the back of a dusty cupboard, you would get the document out and you would dust it off. Um, Do you know where yours is, by the way? It's worth having a think on that. Um, You'd check every line, wouldn't you? Because the insurance company is bound by their word, bound by their promise. They must keep every single dot. Now, here this morning, we have God's word. His, His promise for us his promise for us. 
And it's not about the recovery of a house. It's not about the recovery of some possessions. It's about the recovery of our souls. It is about a rescue for heaven, for eternity. It's about things that God has said that are going to come true. We see it here in Luke's gospel. Here are promises that we are to cling to, to hold to. What God has said, he does. And our destiny is bound by this very book. It's not to be in a dusty cupboard. We live by it, don't we? God's promises are coming true. Here is a true son of God in the garden. It reminds me of those words in um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Forgive me, I can't help myself. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. When Adam's flesh and Adam's bones sit at Care Paravel in throne, the evil time will be over and done. Those were words in the story spoken long ago, but came true. Here is the, here is the, here is the word of God coming true in the garden. The promised seed of Eve. Back in the garden. We know God's word is coming true. We know Satan's head will be crushed. And the garden will be renewed. That is something to live for, isn't it? And something to live by. Notice then this morning, firstly, wow, a place revisited. The temple, the image of Eden. Notice, secondly, some characters. Notice some characters, and here I want to point us to the angels. The angels are active again. We've got Gabriel, haven't we? Gabriel appears a couple of times. Uh, Gabriel appears to Zachariah. And Gabriel appears and speaks to Mary. They're great words. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Can I show you those? Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, don't be afraid, says the angel. I've got great news for you. Here are these angels, and they are messengers of excitement. With It's not 10 o'clock, you know, it's not the kind of I've got to be neutral because it's BBC, ITV, 10 o'clock news, can't express any emotion. <laughs> this is great news of great joy, of excitement. Look, look how it plays out with the shepherds. Chapter 2, verse 10. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Of what? Of mediocre joy? Of great joy. That will be for all the people. The angels are announcing a global party. Aren't they? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, a rescuer who is Christ the Lord. The angels are thrilled. The angels are excited. And as one angel announces this, suddenly, whoomph, there's, uh, there's a whole horde. A heavenly host, an army of heaven come down, trumpets blowing, choir singing. Verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host 
praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Here's the hordes of heaven, the host of heaven, the armies of heaven. The British armed forces know how to put on a display, don't they? Normally called in for the royal occasions. You know, we, we get the, the representatives of the armed forces and they ride on their horses and they blow their trumpets and they wave their flags and they wear their military garb. And it's all very impressive, isn't it? Quite something. I'm not sure it can compete with this, though. The hordes of heaven, the hosts of heaven. Can you imagine the excitement and the power on, on display? The excitement, Peter says that in, in his letter, that the angels have longed. They longed to look into what God was doing through the whole Bible story. They weren't privy to any inside information. They didn't know Bethlehem was going to happen. They're brimming with excitement at what is going on, that God has taken to his own world. The artist has entered the painting. The maker of the world has become the maid. Before this, as far as we know from the scriptures, the angels were occasional messengers. Um, go, give, give a message over here. Uh, and, and those messages were few and far between. And of course, we also have the seraphim and the cherubim. Do you remember them? Guarding, guarding the way to Eden. But now what do we have? It's not merely changing shifts of guard duty. It's not the occasional messenger run. Now things are kicking off. The angels are excited and singing. They're like the crowds and the paparazzi, I think, outside Willy Wonka's factory. Some of you know that's the Christmas film this year, isn't it? The sort of prequel, I think, Wonka. Some of you might have seen it. I love the original myself, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I love that bit where the crowds and the halls are desperate to see the gates open to Willy Wonka's factory because it's been closed for so long and we wonder, and the chocolate's so amazing, and what wonderful things go on in there. And even if they haven't got a golden ticket, everyone wants to see in. I think the angels are buzzing like that. The excitement for the new Christmas film, the excitement for the new Christmas toy, the angels don't care about that. They're excited about what's going on in Bethlehem. I think we're supposed to notice that. Notice the angels are active again and they are messengers of excitement. Which I think means for, for us this morning, if we've lost our joy, if we've lost our sense of excitement, if we've lost our wonder, our ability to sing, maybe it's because we've missed what the angels have got. Maybe we've missed what the angels are on tenterhooks to see. You see, we won't get their excitement until we get what they've got, until we see what the angels have seen. It may be this morning that our joy has gone because we've lost our wonder at the incarnation of God taking on a human nature in the person of his son. I mean, it's where it all began, isn't it? It may be no wonder that we have lost our wonder if we've missed this wonder. Do you see it? So how about this? This year, we grab some of the angels' amazement. The next time you're feeling a little bit spiritually dulled, look at your arms and your legs and your hands. And look at yourself. God took on something like this for me. As you're walking down the road and you're 
Mine is preoccupied with things far from God's. Remember, God entered his world. He walked on this earth. Wow. Wow. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you're struggling to find joy in the Lord, joy in living for him and his commands. Well, as you, as you look at his call to love your neighbor, well, look at, the, look, at, look at the person you're talking to at the school gate. Look at the, the, the cashier at the supermarket. And know that the God who made the universe, who placed the stars in the sky, became like one of us, like one of them. If you were there, you could have been talking to him. He condescended into our world, in our life situations. Wow. When you are spiritually dried out and frustrated, consider this. Consider what kind of frustrations the Lord Jesus endured. He was the timeless one, and he became time-bound. If you're frustrated, it's not a patch on, on that, and he chose to do it. The ageless one took to aging for me. The immortal became mortal. The one who held all power took to mere humanity. Consider that and be blown away. The word became flesh to the glory of God, and that included saving you and me in flesh and bone. One song puts it like this. Who would have dreamed? Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? The giver of life is born in the night, revealing God's glorious plan to save the world. That ought to get our hearts beating again, wouldn't it? It made the angels sing. It ought to make us sing, wouldn't it? Notice the place. Notice the characters, the angels active again. Notice, lastly, thirdly, I want you to notice an item. An item. I want us to notice the swaddling cloths, okay? Because I think the swaddling cloths, no matter what, leave us wondering. So come with me to uh, chapter 2, verse 12. How is it the angels make their announcement to the shepherds? What do they say? 2, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There's our item, swaddling cloths. That's a powerful image, isn't it? It's captured many, uh, many people's imagination. And it's left many of us wondering, why the swaddling cloths? What's significant about that? How is that a sign? And as I'm sure you can imagine, lots of bizarre theories have appeared. But swaddling cloths were probably just quite normal, really. Um, like many people today like to swaddle their babies, um, wrap them up so they don't thrash around, help them feel safe and secure, help them feel almost like they're still in the womb. Well, so it was done to the Lord Jesus, ordinary clothes, swaddled like an ordinary baby. The angels are saying to the, the shepherds, go to Bethlehem, and there you will find an ordinary baby in ordinary baby clothes, swaddling cloths. The bizarre thing, he's laying in a feeding trough. That's the message. It captures our imagination. And the image of the baby in the swaddling cloths, it, it's there, isn't it? I don't think you can imagine the baby Jesus without that coming to mind, can you? The, the baby in the, in the swaddling cloths. That's how he's dressed. Luke tells us how he's dressed. If, everything, if, if lots about Jesus' birth was extraordinary, here is an ordinary thing but brought to attention for us. Jesus seemingly had an ordinary delivery, an ordinary labor, and now ordinary clothes, an ordinary almost baby grow. 
But it's mentioned for us. It's brought to attention. And it just makes us wonder. I think of that phrase from the book of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return. It makes us wonder, what will become of this one? This one born in swaddling cloths. How will his story end? Will this one announced to be the Christ who arrives in mere swaddling cloths? Will he finish his story in robes of glory? Or will he be like everyone else? We see what he's wearing now. What will he wear later? There he is in the manger, in the swaddling cloths. Looks so ordinary. Looks so much like everyone else. What will he become? It makes us wonder. And of course, what Jesus is wearing gets special attention later in Luke's gospel as well. Again, at the end of the gospel, Jesus is buried, and he's buried in normal linen cloths, normal grave clothes, just like everyone else. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 12 says, Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Why mention the clothes? Why bring that to attention? Why mention the temple at the beginning of the story? Why mention the angels? Because all of this stuff happens again at the end of the story. The temple at the end, the angels at the end, even the clothes at the end. Notice what he's wearing. Luke draws our attention to the announcement of the swaddling cloth and manger. He's he's historically fascinated with those details, Jesus' clothing, because he's going to want us to notice Jesus' clothes later. Luke wants us to see that the one who entered the world in ordinary clothes would look like he left the world in ordinary clothes too. Only he didn't. He left the grave clothes behind. Jesus, in other words, wore the swaddling cloths so that he might dispense with the linen clothes. Jesus wore the swaddling cloths so that he could get rid of the grave clothes and leave them behind. Now, whether you think I'm going over the top or not, and some of you may do, um, you can certainly agree with this. That Jesus came to this world to do away with sin and death forever, didn't he? Pregnant in this nativity scene is so much expectation. This birth story is to be twinned with that death story, isn't it? Inevitably. John the Baptist came into the world and his birth story was like the last birth story of the old era. Jesus is born to die and to be the last death story. All that happens here will lead to the cross and to the resurrection and to the glorious death of death for those he has redeemed. Jesus took on flesh, swaddled in manger lay in order that he could die. As a son of God, he could never die. But if he took on a human nature, he could die. And that is what your saviour is doing for you, wrapped in those swaddling cloths. He is wrapped in those swaddling cloths, so later, (laughs) later he can wear the linen cloths and be laid down in the grave, in your place, in my place. He lays there so he can do away with the grave clothes forever. You see, then, the birth stories do point forward to the bigger story and how they should make us go, wow. From time eternal, God planned. He planned those swaddling cloths for his son. 
so that the Lord Jesus could live the perfect life and be nailed to a cross and laid in a tomb. Oh, this year that we might capture more awe in our great God and Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen then a place, the temple, as if Jesus is coming to the very place where the promise was made. Picture of Eden. We see the angels active and excited because God's saviour has arrived. And we see this curious detail of the clothes he's wearing and we wonder what will become of him. And the answer is he will become the one enthroned at the cross. He'll become the one enthroned in glory. As he's raised from the dead on the third day and ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the father. And it all begins here. Wow. Might our hearts sing again for this joy. Shall we pray? Our gracious, loving Father, we've taken some time this morning to look over this account, look at some of the images and the metaphors. We've taken the time to consider what you've done. Father, might we be thrilled afresh. Might we be thrilled afresh at your word coming true. Might we be thrilled afresh at what the angels saw? Might we be thrilled afresh at the salvation and the rescue that lay in the manger for us? Might we go from here singing and praising you and living out all our days to your glory because of that baby? We ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.